Uh, this is Monica Puchner with Harlow.io, and today we have Finney Lingham from Civic. Hi. Hi, Monica. <laughs> Uh, excited to have him kind of wax poetic on the state of the union, the industry, where we're going, all that jazz. You know, it's been quite a wild year, and I think there are a couple of themes that we're seeing take shape. And so I'd love to discuss those with you. Vinny, as everybody knows him, is one of the thought leaders of the industry. He's been around for many, many years and really is part of a lot of technology advice and advisory boards. Uh, for a lot of different companies, including Hilos, that are in the ecosystem. So we're grateful to you, Vinny. You are, you know, it's, it's a badge of honor to work with you. And also, you know, I, I had talked to a couple of people in, in North Carolina the other day that were, were getting into Bitcoin. And you are one of the names that she said she followed early on getting into Bitcoin space. So I think, you know, thank you to everyone also for, you know, helping us make sense of this crazy industry and and get more people involved really is what it's all about. For those that don't know, if you want to give just a little bit of background on Civic, and we'd love to hear what Civic's, you know, up to these days. Sure. So Civic is a digital identity company using blockchain to create a distributed um, identity store, that being your devices to store your information as opposed to a simple server which can get hacked and everyone's information leaks and this happens every single day. And so we're trying to make sure that your information is safe on your devices. If you get hacked, that's your problem. Unfortunately, it doesn't uh, impact the rest of the, of the network. So it's always isolated. Civic stores no data on our servers about you. And we're basically giving you a, a way of asserting your identity anywhere you need to when you need to use uh, an ID. And an example of it would be what we did with Budweiser at um, Consensus in New York and May. Where there's a vending machine that just needs to know that you're over 21, you can use your Civic ID on your phone to verify age, and out pops a free beer from Budweiser. And it worked really well. We had thousands of people lining up and using it. And that's an example of what digital IDs can do. And so we've got that. We've got ID codes as a product, which uses the Civic ID as well. That's live on Hilo's website. Yeah. Proves that I'm a real advisor to Hilo. Which is awesome. So for anybody who's looking to authenticate their team and advisors and investors, you can use Civic for that authentication, which is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, anyone can create a LinkedIn account or a Facebook account and say, you know, I went to Stanford and Harvard and I advise 50 companies, but how do you know it really is that person, not some dog in a basement? And so uh, with Civic, you, you know that if you see, for example, on Hilo's website, an ID code, um, proving that Vinny has a relationship with Hilo, you at least know that that is a general relationship. And we're rolling out ID codes more and more to uh, other use cases, but it's still in kind of a private beta right now, testing mm -hmm. it out. And it's looking good. And so I think, you know, we're just an identity verification and company right now. But I think the bigger goal is we're a consumer data privacy company and we're looking at more, more products and services that improve um, consumer um, privacy. And uh, I think uh, long term, you know, we think that digital identities become, you know, basically a, a key part of the fabric of society. Mm -hmm. Like the notion that you took a lot of plastic driver's license or physical passport needs to go away. Antiquated. Antiquated. Yeah, yeah we don't need those anymore, right? We're doing That's transactions right. using our phone. We're paying with Apple Pay. Yeah. Why do we need to have any plastic that we're carrying around ever? Exactly. So if you look at like my previous company was Gift, GYFD, the gift card company, and before gift, you had this, these wallets full of gift cards, and now it's all digital, and um, we want to come to pioneer that space. And so how do you I don't know, how do you move from taking the gift card of the wallet, you know, Apple Pay took the 
uh, payment cards out of the wallet, so to speak, but you still have to carry around a driver's license, right? And how do we eventually get to that point? And that should happen soon enough. Yeah, there was, um, you know, kind of a theory uh, that everything would become tokenized at one point and you'd have coffee tokens that exist in your digital wallet and, you know, pizza tokens, and these would all interact in the background. And you, as a user, wouldn't wouldn't foresee what you were using pizza coin or you were topping off pizza coin with your coffee coin. Um, you know, that was amusing. That was amusing. But it, it, that's not today, right? That's not yeah. the reality of the day. I don't foresee that maybe being the reality of the future. Um, where do you foresee it going? Because it's there's it's really changed, right? I mean, the thesis and, and ideas and speculation on where the market was going certainly hasn't been the case. I mean, we've known that regulation was going to be a big part of it. It's now more than ever. We're seeing the SEC come out, you know, now looking at investors investing in the space. They're freaking out and kind of moving abroad. We have a bubble. <laughs> I, I, I literally wrote the blog post on it a year ago, yeah. a year ago, a year and a half ago, like preventing the next Bitcoin bubble mm-hmm. um, on my blog because I, I felt that a bubble would be the worst thing to happen in Bitcoin and the crypto industry because exactly what happened happened, right? Everyone get excited about the bubble. There's no real, you know, there's there's no utility in these tokens yet. You know, there's the, the inflation of the prices created this panic and this mania, everyone buying this stuff up. A lot of people bought at the top and got hurt. Mm-hmm. And so they lost a lot of money. And then the regulators coming, because regulators only get involved when people are losing money. So if you had like slow and steady growth every single year in, in Bitcoin and in crypto over years, they probably would have to just turn a blind eye to it because it's not affecting everyone. But when you have a speculative mania and then it crashes, first of all, in a speculative mania, you have all the con man, all the, all the bad apples coming out. And when, when the party ends, you know, like I said, the bigger the party, the bigger the hangover. <laughs> and now we had a big party last year. This is a really big hangover. And I, yeah, I, I don't see light at the end of the tunnel this year. I've been very doom and gloom this past year. And I'm probably going to say that I don't see a recovery, you know, above the 2017 numbers for at least the whole of 2019. And so maybe later 20, we'll start seeing some positivity. But that's because, you know, the speculative view of the market was way ahead of the market fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Now, people can hate me for being... Mr. Doom and Gloom, I haven't always been Doom and Gloom. I've been a very positive crypto guy, and I'm still positive about crypto in general. But I think that the majority of cryptos out there today are probably going to fail because the people working on these projects don't really care about the projects. They were just, you know, in it to make the money. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the companies that are trying to build real value and, and, and contribute to the infrastructure and ecosystem, um, hopefully a large portion of those will survive. Yeah. If history has taught us anything, it's uh, that post-speculative mania results in massive crashes and carnage. Yeah. Well, I think the other side to that token, if you will, is that we've seen people invest and really, you know, be become very passionate about these investments and about these projects very early on that you never saw that before, right? There was no way, uh, you know, a smaller investor could get involved with some of these technologies or projects or companies. And so the other side of that is people are getting involved earlier. They're really excited. They're passionate about the the investments. I mean, for heaven's sake, when I was getting into it, you know, the, the big adage was, you know, never invest more than you can afford to lose. But I didn't care. I was just really interested in the technologies. And it was really like it became a passion for me. And that was Bitcoin, Ethereum, and some of the other tokens. And so I, I think that, you know, that may be a good thing. And perhaps we're creating a marketplace that consists of 
multiple different layers, right? It's not just finance. For heaven's sakes, we have Doge coins and Crypto Kitties and all these other ones that everyone knows are fake, but yet actually they they perceive value in it, right? Or they like to be involved or or have Doge coins. And maybe that's the same thing as having, you know, digital goods and people are really excited to participate or invest or be involved even if they know it's not going to provide value to their lives at the end, right? Or you could think the parallel is like gaming, right? You're, you're buying different things within a game, but it may not necessarily hold any long-term value to you as a consumer, as an investor. So is are we building a marketplace that has all these different things in it and different categories, like even seeing Bitcoin as a store of value versus, you know, having, you know, longer-term utility? Um, what, what, I'm trying to make sense of it as a, as a kind of an investor, a user, um, somebody who likes the industry and, and thinks that actually it's going to grow and thrive and survive long-term. Um, are we seeing like, you know, many different industries kind of combined in one, are we seeing the growth of like a new global financial ecosystem? Is it a bit of both? What's your take on that? Honestly, I think everyone's trying to figure this out. (laughs) Everyone has a view. Yeah. And I've heard, every side of the, the story from the Bitcoin maximus to the ETH maximus to the Ripple maximus to the crypto neutral, neutralist, call it that. <laughs> um, you know, it's hard to say how this all plays out. I think it's yeah. really difficult. Um, what, one thing I look at is network effects. The network effect is the strongest with Bitcoin still today. Uh, even though, for example, merchants aren't accepting Bitcoin anymore, it's come down a bit. Um, it's impacted the number of transactions on Bitcoin. It, you know, it still has the strongest network effect as a use case for some sort of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, can it justify its current valuation? You look at Bully Wu's analysis and a few others. The answer is no. And historically, this has been the big. This has been part of the whole scaling debate and fighting around, you know, what Bitcoin should be used for and keeping the the, the transaction costs low consistently. Um, it's because you want a big network effect when lots of merchants accept it. But now the, the kind of the hollow mentality is you don't want to spend Bitcoin, you know. And <laughs> so if you don't spend Bitcoin, you don't have people accepting it and you don't have a network effect that kind of kills the whole yeah. value proposition. So this is, you know, again, like this is the rational thought element of Bitcoin. Like so 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 let me let me preface what I'm saying by, hey, listen, if you're religious and you believe in a single God and that's your religion, no one can tell you otherwise. It's the same with crypto. If you're religious about one coin, you will find every reason to believe in that one coin, and no one can tell you otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, and that's okay. And that's just the way the world works. Humans are designed to be religious about things for some reason. We, you know, we have this sort of monotheist, monotheist culture uh, by and large. The majority of the world is monotheist. Like we believe, you know, it's kind of funny. Even the polytheist um, religions are still kind of mono in a way, right? They'll, they'll believe in all the gods within their culture, but not anyone else's culture's gods. So I think um, the same works with, same works with crypto, right? If you're a, a crypto theist, call it a, a mono mono crypto theist, <laughs> and you believe in this one single coin to rule them all, the kind of Bitcoin maximalist view, nothing, no amount of reason or rhyme can convince you otherwise that that is the path to you know, enlightenment and nirvana and whatever else. If you have a view that um, there's a, a you know a, a poly crypto culture out there, and there's lots of these cryptos will survive and thrive, um, you know it's more that that view is probably you could be wrong, right? You, you could be wrong because it could be that Bitcoin kills everything else, and that's the only one that survives. Nobody knows. 
Yeah, nobody knows. Nobody knows. So it's wildly speculative. But, but, but I would say this, like, crypto and religion are very similar. <laughs> because, like, li- literally, proof and reason often goes out the window with both. Like, in religion, you ask for proof. There is no proof. You have to have faith. Mm-hmm. In crypto, the same thing happens. Well, wh- wh- why do you believe that Bitcoin will be the one coin to rule them all? Well, you, you know, because it's sound money. And sound money... And it's never going to change. And like, if you stack all the reasons why it's sound money going into the future, there's a lot of fundamental assumptions that nothing changes in this world. Right. And so it's really a, it's a, it's a vector based belief that the direction Bitcoin is going in is going to be to become the one coin to rule them all scenario, which it may, may well be. But then for it to transpire, you have to believe that you know, in kind of a, a narcissistic belief that there is. This is the way the world works, and, and and it's and kind of the view of being a, as a former Bitcoin maximalist, I would say, it's the belief is that Bitcoin is preordained to be the one, mm-hmm. and I'm just not the religious type where I believe something is preordained. Yeah. You have to work hard to achieve things. And do you think that the crypto markets will achieve world domination, and will that'll be a ubiquitous part of our lives? You know, in the next 10, 15 years, or is it? I think the future of money is crypto. Mm-hmm. But equally, just having traveled the world and being in multiple cultures and, and lived in different parts of the world, like I can tell you now that the chance of one crypto being what people use worldwide is very slim. I mean, just from a culture perspective. There are people, the, the countries that people love their governments that will issue their own currency, they'll be happy to use that currency, you know, as opposed to Bitcoin or, or any other currency that comes up. We just live in a world with so many cultures and subcultures that it's really hard to get everyone to agree on one thing. And I think we're already seeing that in crypto. The fact that there can be so many coins with so many different ambitious sort of goals, or et cetera, and, and, and these avid religious zealots around each one kind of makes you think that maybe this is a poly, poly sort of crypto world that we have to just accept and live in. I mean, I wrote a blog post years ago about Bitcoin will be the only one because all the other coins are shit coins. And Quite frankly, at the time that was right, and now in retrospect, maybe not right, maybe not correct. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, you know, there's, there are special purpose coins out there that can use other things. And that Bitcoin, if you want to be, you can't, you can't be all things to all people. You can't be sound money and the best programming extensible platform and because there are trade offs around centralization versus decentralization. So you, can be, you can't be decentralized and have um, some of the, the things that need to happen with. Centralized. Can we coexist with decentralized and centralized? Is it going to be a, a combination? You know, and also, you know, you talk about the polytheistic nature of religion versus crypto. And I assume that there's there is like that happy medium where you are from Bitcoin maximalist to, you know, the tokenization of everything or of things, which which a lot of people subscribe to. You know, I, I could ask you to speculate on that all day, but I'm not going to. But where do you foresee? kind of us evolving to if the future of money is crypto, then the future of everything we do all day, every day is comprised of crypto. And that could be a combination of centralized versus decentralized. We've seen a lot of the platforms that have gotten a lot of uh, users and and use cases become centralized um, banks or like Coinbase or Robinhood, right? They have a centralized layer. They hold your, your, your coins and tokens. They have a wallet built in. Those are centralized, and we've seen basically the the majority of, of new users largely into the crypto app ecosystem come from those different avenues. So are we just p- replacing one centralization component for the next, or 
is it propping up the entire community and just getting more people to use, know, and love crypto um, is really essential for the growth long-term. One of the biggest <laughs> arguments right now is that people who love Bitcoin and decentralized nature also are super excited about Coinbase, which is centralized, right? So you, you, you kind of have to have like, the on-ramp that pushes the Bitcoin price up is all these buyers have easy access to buy now through Coinbase. Well, they did anyway, and you know, obviously they pushed the price up last year. Um, but that's a centralized service contributing to the ecosystem. And if you're a decentralized and you're not, you're going to hate those services. But those services are what's making you wealthy. How can you hate that? Mm-hmm. So like, it really depends what your goals are. I mean, if you want to just get rich, just buy and huddle for 25 years. I'm sure you pick enough of a bigger basket of crypto that have something in the hits. Um, like predicting what's going to take off and how, it's kind of hard. Like the number one use case for crypto right now is speculation. And, and, and theoretically money transfers. But, you know, if you look at crypto and um, like, what do you use crypto? What, what do people on the street It's speculation. It's, it's investment speculation. That's it. They're not using it for anything. Mm-hmm. Like who's going to buy a crypto? Like what average person buys crypto today for anything other than speculation? Maybe the exceptional spank chain. That's the only one that actually has a real utility, I guess. <laughs> because porn. <laughs> because it's porn. People buy these coins. Well, I mean, the, fir- the first use cases oh, yeah. of Bitcoin were, you know, drugs, illicit behavior, yeah. dark web. Um, and then also, you know, really uh, circumnavigating government controls. That only really lasts for so long. I mean, yeah. Like Bitcoin, uh, crypto has been, a, the past couple of years, it's been a great way to evade taxes for a lot of people. And uh, and that's going to catch up with everyone. Mm-hmm. It really is. And so there's a lot of dark money out there. Like the, the, the whole notion that we're going to have these security tokens out there, which you know people like people assume that liquidity that exists that existed before. If you think about look at last year, like a large part of the liquidity drying up was the dark money didn't want to come out and be seen, right? So they would do ICOs where they could just send ETH to an address and get tokens out to diversify their holdings. But the moment KYC is coming into these ICOs, they can't do that anymore. And the dark money hides away, especially old dark money in crypto. Mm-hmm. A lot of How do we get to the next step? How do we get to the future? Is it all stuff that people want to use? Yeah, all yeah. Well, and services. Right. I had um, you know, a friend of mine who's passionate about crypto and the crypto space, um, has an e-commerce, you know, food delivery business in LA. And he, you know, last year, sometime last year, he posed the question of, you know, I I love crypto. I don't care about the volatility. I'm willing to take a risk for, you know, a portion of my business because that's, I want to, you know, use it, have other people use it and thrive. Like I remember when I first got into Bitcoin, people were handing out Bitcoin and why? Because they wanted to create that natural, uh, you know, network effect and community. And I think we've gotten away from that a little bit now. Oh yeah. We totally lost lost the plot. Yeah. So, like, how do we get back to the plot? Like, how do we make it so that, you know, we can... I think the genie's out the bottle. (laughs) I think the only way we get back on track is to a lot of pain. So, like, an extended bear market is probably the only way we can get sensibility back in the industry. Mm -hmm. There's just too many companies building shit that no one's going to use for infinite amount of scale that nobody needs for products that no one has built. The stuff doesn't add up. Yeah. There are way too many crypto projects out there solving problems that don't. Like, oh, we're five times faster than Ethereum or 50 times faster or it scales better or it's cheap or better. Like, great, but who's going to use it? So 
there's very few companies out there I think that are actually solving problems the right way versus just solving them. It's like a lot of intellectual masturbation right now in the space. Wow. <laughs> I had projects coming to me all the time because I'm in crypto. I'm sure you you do as well. Asking about how they tokenize or use a blockchain for different services. Why? Yeah. Like, do you really think average people out there are going to be able to keep track of 50 tokens in their wallet? No. I can barely keep track of like my portfolio list, which is like maybe 15 that I keep track of. Like, I, and I'm I'm deep in the industry. Mm-hmm. I can't track 50 or 100. I don't give it. Just don't give a shit. Yeah. I don't think the average person will even track five. So you you know you're probably looking at the average person buying the brand name stuff. So Bitcoin, Ethereum. Um, I mean, Ripple's really popular. It's the top three or four coin. Bitcoin Cash. What else in top five? Um, yeah, I mean, those are, you know, Litecoin. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, those are the main ones. And when it gets, I can see someone putting a wallet together with like maybe 10, 15 coins mm-hmm. maximum. I, just, I can't see how people do fifty coins. And, and and again, what's the point of those coins? Right, it's just, it's investments. There's no usage for them. Um, you, you'd like, would you buy Bitcoin for long term investment? Probably. Would you be buying, you know, X Y Z? You know, a seventeen coin list for like. Long-term investment? No, it's speculation. You mm-hmm. just don't, like, like there are very few coins which you which you know will be around in 10, 15, 20 years. Bitcoin's one of those coins, actually, that'll be around for a long time. Uh, you know, absent of any sort of technical failure, yep. it's going to be around for a long time. And, uh, so, so then, are projects, you know, larger projects. So, who do you foresee doing like initial coin offerings in the future? Is it you know, like the Facebook and WhatsApps of the world and doing a security, well, I guess it's the same company now. Yeah, it's all, it's all morphing now. This is all becoming security tokens. Because yeah. It's being, you know. So it, the tokenizations of things will happen, but it'll happen in reverse. Well, there's two ways to look at it. So, so from a legal perspective, you can still have an ICO once you have a utility for your token. Yeah. So you may have companies that are funded by VC or private investment, then do an ICO because now the token has utility that people can use and they're not using those funds to fund development of the product or anything. And, and I think the SEC's come out and doing some guidelines around these things and, and things that are securities could become tokens and things that are tokens could become securities as well. So you have to tread lightly. But that applies only to US, right? So only if you offer yeah. it to USP persons. Like the shit that goes on outside the US is crazy. I mean, literally people are conning old <laughs> moms and pops and granddad and grandpa out of their money because it's like this is the hot new thing. And this is, last year was sick. I mean, a lot of people lost a lot of money. BitConnect. BitConnect. <laughs> BitConnect. And like, you know. What about like the engineering purges that are happening? Like, it, you know, we saw that a lot at the beginning of the ICO mania where, you know, like engineers were on a beach somewhere, you know, drinking a Mai Tai because they had just gotten, you know, $50 million. And, uh, people's uh, Instagram and videos. And... Let's just say that there's, you know, Crypto isn't, I think more crypto was spent on drug money than <laughs> last year than ever before. Yes. <laughs> people are just having some really wild parties and flying private jets around and like doing crazy shit. Like they, people should be building companies and putting their money to good use. Like this is one of the problems with like crypto funded companies and entities versus VC companies. Like we have a board member, we have financial statements, we have accountability, we have VC backers, etc. Like we're a properly well run. You know, Delaware C Corp based in San Francisco. Like, but imagine giving money to some, you know, 
company outside of the US, but there's just no governance. So like the, the, the founders own the whole business. There's no one looking over their shoulders. They can they can raise 50 million bucks or 30 million bucks. They can fly private jets around Europe, wherever, pizza, and party, party, party. And this is what's going on, and money is being spent. I, I'm just, you know, you go, go, to, go to Instagram and go follow hashtags like Bitcoin, crypto. <laughs> like, seriously. Yeah. Look, look at people are doing with their money. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the things that excited me early on in crypto was that we had this entire ecosystem that was actually kind of like evolving itself. So you had investors early on in the space were investing in other projects they know and love. And I thought that was pretty awesome and interesting. Yeah. It's kind of gotten a place where it's gotten out of hand, but now it's, you know, opening it up to, you know, it, it looks and feels like the market's retracted now back to, you know, you have a product, you get feces on board, you know, it's been like, and then I'm you all. I'm not sure we're there yet. I think we haven't had enough pain. Really? Yeah. I think it's still too much hubris. Yeah. But, uh, who was, I think it was uh, Jimmy Song said, there's still a lot of hope in the market. Like you, you can't spend money the way people are spending money and doing development and product development, whatever else, with no accountability. There's no revenue coming to space. Like I've done the calculations on, Crypto, like there's about a billion dollars a month worth of crypto sales just to fund the ecosystem continue because no outside of the exchanges, companies aren't making profits. So you have about five or ten thousand companies with you know fifty to hundred thousand employees that make generate no economic value, no revenue, no sales. Yeah, like I said, no, like you know, by and large, nothing, mm-hmm. relatively speaking. And they have to fund it. So crypto will keep getting sold until we get to the point where there's some, you know, realignment. But, but, but let me preface by saying one more thing. Last year wasn't the world's biggest crypto bubble. It's the biggest crypto bubble we've seen so far. I think the it's next still bubble... still coming. I think, the, <laughs> I think the big bubble's still coming. I think we're going to see you know, in, in the 20s some ridiculous sized bubble where crypto goes absolutely apeshit. And when that bubble crashes, that's that could lead to a global depression. Because this bubble, bubble as we call it, will hit nearly a trillion dollars and came crashing down. The world doesn't feel the pinch of a trillion dollar loss. Like it's not that big a deal. I mean, it's still saving a couple hundred million. It's like, yeah, so we lost a couple of blackberries, you know, blackberries are a hundred dollars and people disappeared. It's not that painful. Can you imagine the next crypto bubble going to five or ten trillion dollars with a crypto mania like you've never seen before? And if there are no fundamentals underlying why the crypto market cap goes to the roof, when that bubble bursts, it's going to bring on a regulatory backlash like we've never seen in our lives. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is a scenario which I think is very plausible. And if it happens, I may become religious because God help us all. <laughs> but, um, You're going to go back to yeah. your, your monotheistic Bitcoin yeah, ways. Exactly. <laughs> But let's just hope it doesn't happen. Let's just hope, we, like you know, sanity prevails and we're able to build real products and solutions that generate revenue and utility to man and society, and it's not just a big speculative mania. Yeah. So I'm really passionate about getting more people involved in crypto. I know you are too. What are the top three kind of resources or, or places people can go, both that are want, wanting to build uh, in crypto and who are wanting to invest or or, or get involved? Oh, I'm going to do a plug for Multicoin Capital. Mm-hmm. So, there's a general partner there. We have um, 
a ton of research on the website, about bonus research on, on all the cryptos we look at. On all, we look at a lot of cryptos, we have close to a hundred million dollar fund. Um, and so, you know, we see a ton of deal flow and the guys have got some great research reports. So if you're looking for, you know, an interesting take on how crypto plays out, I, I think it's a good place to start. Um, yeah, I tweet a lot on my Twitter, so definitely follow me. And, uh, Vinny Lingan. Yeah, Vinny Lingan. <laughs> I, I I, look, recently I haven't tweeted that much because I just think we're, you know, we're in a bit of a slowdown. And so I kind of retweet. The stuff. bear market brought bear, market. bear do, Vinny Twitter to uh, us. Uh, but I'm not going to rub it in because <laughs> I, I, I literally look at my tweets from December at the peak. You'll be like, it was just a whole bunch of sarcastic, like, oh, this is not going to hurt. This is, <laughs> and a couple other things. And I think, I, like, I don't want to have Shredder for it. Because uh, I feel sorry for people who lost their money, but like literally, this was coming, and nobody wanted to believe it because we're living, you know, in a bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then uh, I get I, I get all my information from Twitter, so I spend a lot of time on Twitter. And I have certain people that I follow, and um, I think US Ventures, USV, they put out a good post today mm-hmm. about um, infrastructure and apps. Yeah, we saw um, that. Yeah, and, and this is like. It's they did a really good job explaining it, but it's very obvious. Mm-hmm. This is why Civic builds apps, not infrastructure. Yep. Like we just basically use existing infrastructure and we build things we need as we need it, uh, because we're trying to figure out the product market fit cycle, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to oh wow, you can verify any ID from anywhere, anytime using Civic. Who's using it? No one. Instead, we've got hundreds of partners signed up using us, and so for us, it's more important to drive actual adoption. Exactly. And you know, I like to, so everyone knows. Um, Civic basically does uh, localizes your authenticates your information using your app. So tell us why it's better than some of the existing uh, apps today in terms of know your customer, anti money laundering, or basically digital ID check in your pocket. Sure. So every time you go open up an account with an exchange or some site that needs to do KYC, you have to scan your documents. You have to send it through to them. They typically go and send it to some back office in the Philippines or wherever your documents go to gets manually checked by somebody and hopefully they haven't sold you data onto a friend who's going to commit identity fraud. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in theory, some of these companies are good, but like this data leaks up. And, you know, we're working on solutions that are improving the safety of it. But essentially, we do the data checking on our side. And so companies who are responsible can trust that Civic has verified the ID and trust the data that's underlying it and effectively store it as they have to for regulatory purposes without having it having to go to a set of eyes that is sitting in a foreign country reviewing it. Um, you know, we use machine learning as much as possible and, you know, um, we have a whole bunch of techniques we use to verify ID information. So for us, it's more about how do you protect the data. And remember, we don't store it in our service. We put the data on your phone so you can reuse it all times and we're driving the cost of ID verification down. Uh, like at, at the core, the ability to verify your ID allows us to build a ton of other products that you may want that you, you wouldn't even think about that utilizes your ID. And so whether we build it or other players come in and use it, that's up to them. Uh, we, we, we actually have identity.com, which we bought in domain name, and we have our marketplace launching on that uh, in Q1 where effectively people can sell attestations and verification. So if somebody wants to get your salary information from you, you can provide it to them from your employer. And as long as your employer signed the attestation, that data is now available. You don't have to scan your payslip and send it across and all those things. So there's lots of, you know, Identicom is going to be hopefully a centralized hub 
Um, it's decentralized in a way, but it's centralized, and we think it's, that's okay. Um, uh, you know, it's open source. It's a nonprofit foundation. There's a transaction fee using CEC, um, and we hope that enough companies start using it as a standard for, for you know, getting verified information and data. Yeah, well, we're using it at hilo.io. So um, when we're live, um, everyone can check out how to, you know, use Civic to log in to your website and just see how that process is. It's very seamless. You know, you get a QR code on your phone. Once you have that, all of your documents uploaded, you um, click on the camera QR code in the app and boom, voila, it authenticates you as a user. And you can do that across all of Civic properties. So that's really exciting. Looking forward to kind of spreading the good word on that. And then the USV article, I know you mentioned that. I thought that was really interesting too, because they really made a lot of um, really great comparisons as to what we're building today and kind of where we're at. Well, the best part is the planes and airports. Like, <laughs> yeah. you didn't go build airports until you had a plane, right? Right. So, like, let's invent the planes first before we go and worry about having infrastructure. Airports are infrastructure. Yep. You actually need apps first yes. for your infrastructure. Yes. And, uh, you know, or, you know, roads and cars, right? Yeah, the exactly. new, the, or the car comes for the road. A lot of people, uh, you know, ask us about the analog, and it's like, you know, you know, America Online for the internet or Yahoo Finance. You both CD players before you had CDs. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in a lot of ways, that actually pushes adoption right yeah. forward. Um, so there's there are innovations of the in and of themselves, and it's like chicken and egg, cart horse. But if you put them together, then you obviously have a winning, winning combination. So that's where we're at. I think a lot of people have been focused on investing in protocols and not necessarily apps. Well, um, I didn't buy the whole fat, fat protocol thesis. I think it's, okay. I was one of the guys against that. I think kind of, you know, it's, um, I, I don't think value accrues the protocol necessarily. I think over time, maybe, but I think the real value accrues to people, the network effect that you can build around the app infrastructure. Yeah, and now those protocols actually have a lot of uh, uh, investment funds, et cetera. Well, there's too many of them out there, right? Yeah. So it's, a, it's kind of commoditized. So it's a war of the protocols. Yeah, war of the protocols. <laughs> well, I think there'll be, there'll be big winners in certain areas. Like I think that Filecoin and IPFS will be the winner in that space. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, uh, there's interesting winners that will emerge, but I think it's, there's probably about five or ten protocols out there that will ascribe to the fact protocol thesis and the rest will just be you know, do for irrelevance or figure out how to put it into an app. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, protocols like IPFS are certainly interesting for people that want to have, you know, use a, a platform like that on the internet and not go, you know, completely centralized and want to have some decentralized behavior. So I think that's really interesting. Um, so I think those are definitely here to stay, like you said. Yeah, to the moon, I guess. <laughs> a little, little couple more bear market cycles and then the moon or... Well, I hope we learn from this one. Yeah. It happens again. Jesus, the pain is going to be unbearable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is my third bear market I've gone through in crypto. Is it the most painful? No, because I got out before it got painful. <laughs> Which one was the most? The most painful 2014? was probably 2014. Yeah. I think that saw a lot of the people that were in crypto kind of deviate away from it and say, you know what? It happened to .com as well. So after .com, yeah. that's like all the tourists leave. And what I've learned is you've got to stick with it through the bear cycles and the, and the bull cycles kind of do well. So like, yeah, I, I think there's, I think, by the way, I think crypto is the best place to, like, to actually create wealth for the next couple of years, but it's hard work. I don't think it's easy. Yeah. The moment you think it's easy, you're doing it wrong. Yep. So stay awake, stay woke, as I say, the, the millennials. <laughs> 
um, stay woke. But I mean, I think when you have bear markets, obviously you have opportunity there, right? That's where the opportunity lies. If you don't get scared away, you can make, you know, a, definitely a big impact and that's where you're, you can thrive. So I think there's not, not all bad things in a bear market exist, but I think you can no, you actually, take advantage the of the opportunities. Is it opens everyone's eyes and yeah. who, the real, who the real believers and performers are. Yeah. And who the tourists are. Yeah, and who's just building and, and creating great products and, and exactly. contributing to the ecosystem rather than, you know, detracting from it. And so I think it causes everybody to focus, too, more on the actual ecosystem. I mean, if you're working for a public company as a CEO, you don't want everyone focused on the price of, you know, uh, their equity. But, um, but no, I like I said, I everyone thinks this is the bottom. I don't think it's the bottom. I'll go on record saying that. Everyone thinks like 60, 6,500 is the bottom. Look, I'm happy to be wrong. If we, if we shoot up, What's, from, what do you think the bottom is? I think it's three thousand fifty percent. This one about yeah. I think we're in three four k. I'd say two to four two to four k range. Like you don't know, right? So three three k give or take a k. We, we don't know. Yeah. But I just don't think it's sixty five hundred. Yeah. Or, or fifty eight hundred, whatever. The, the, it's the, kind of been shaking out at. Yeah. I think there needs to be a bigger shakeout than what it is right now, and, I, and we use the Bitcoin price as reference because it is the yeah, it's half the market really. Well, thank you so much for coming in, meeting with us, Vinny, and talking all about crypto and Bitcoin and blockchain and what Civic's been up to. So excited about what's to come. And if you uh, can, people reach you or ask questions. Find me on Twitter. Twitter, Vinny Liam. All right, thanks. Thanks.